Welcome to the Reflections on Parkinson's Disease podcast. In this podcast, we hope to demystify Parkinson's disease, looking at everything from the basics to the cutting edge. Whether you are a healthcare professional, sufferer, carer, or family member looking to learn more, leading experts, Professor Baz Bloom and Professor Werner Poover will help uncomplicate the subject. Orwin presents Reflections on Parkinson's Disease podcast. Welcome back, everyone, with this podcast series, Reflections on Parkinson's Disease, that I've been doing with my good friend and close colleague, Professor Werner Pervy from Innsbruck University in Austria. My name is Bas Bloom. I'm a neurologist in the Netherlands. It is an absolute delight to share with you our experience and reflections on, in particular, medication issues in people with Parkinson's disease. It's been wonderful to see the many reactions to our podcast series. And uh, we've invited you to raise questions and we've seen quite a number of them. And one of the many questions, Werner, that I saw is about um, the need to time your medication well in relation to meals. Uh, That is a recurrent issue. Could you maybe address that question here for all of us? With pleasure, Bas. Great to be back here with you, by the way. And um, yes, today we wanted to focus on communication. And I think this this issue you're mentioning, Bas, is really one that is important in relation to how we communicate with our patients about the, the, the problems that may lead to a fluctuating response to their medication and um, intake of tablets in relation to meals is, is a, a recurring theme in, 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 in my office and I'm sure it is in yours when you, when you have your patient, your patient clinic. Um, we, in one of the previous early podcasts in this series, we, we talked about mechanisms um, behind motor fluctuations. And I um, always take my time to, even when first describe, when first prescribing levodopa in, in de novo cases, I take my time to highlight to um, the affected individuals the basic principles of the pharmacokinetic of levodopa. And that includes that I inform patients that the drug needs to leave the stomach in order to be able to work, to be able to enter the bloodstream and then reach the brain where it where it has its site of action. And that in Parkinson's disease, even in the early stages, there often are um, changes in gastric motility that their stomach may not empty as quickly as in somebody who is not affected by Parkinson's and how meals will, of course, delay gastric emptying uh, because the stomach needs time to digest food and how this means that pills taken together with meals will remain in the stomach for a certain period of time um, and that will prevent them from entering the bloodstream and having their effect and um, also once they've reached the site of absorption the proximal jejunum the duodenum um, the absorption of the drug, I tell my patients, the entry into the bloodstream um, is, is an active process. It's as if uh, there is a taxi system and, or a bus system. And if, if there are 
competitors, other passengers to go into the bloodstream, like the protein components of a meal, uh, that that might prevent uh, levodopa from getting on the bus and reaching reaching the bloodstream because there are too many others. So in, in, in as simple ways as possible, I, I try to explain these um, facts to subjects to make them aware that levodopa is best taken before meals on an empty stomach, that it has the most reliable response there. And of course, this becomes very relevant in those with motor fluctuations. And uh, just recently, I talked to someone about these issues who had not been told about them properly by their physician, at least they hadn't understood it, the patient and the, and the spouse. And after I had mentioned all this to them, I said, oh my God, we've done it completely wrong. I always took it with my meals in order to, for it to be better tolerated. I thought one should. And when they came back the next time and they had adapted the intake, the fluctuations were much better without, you know, big other additional changes, just the correct timing. So I, I believe this is, of, this is a very important part of patient communication in relation to lipidopa and motor fluctuations. Fully agree. Yeah. yeah. And then, you know, Bas, and, and I'd like to go on with this topic and hear your experience uh, in, in, terms of, um, in terms of education. Um, patients may not may not be aware of a relationship between fluctuations they do experience. They 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 can they tell you that not every day is the same. That some days are worse than others, and that some parts of the day they are better, and other parts they are bad. They're worse. Uh, some people say we're pretty good in the morning, but then as the day goes on. Trembling gets worse or the symptoms get worse. And it's not always the drugs, is it? it there, there are other mechanisms that may lead to these changes, aren't there? Yeah, so one comment that I've also seen is, I, is, is a colleague who said, I've seen fluctuations or changes between days or within days in a patient who was still untreated. Uh, and, and clearly, not everything that fluctuates in Parkinson's is purely the result of medication. So this is why the education is so important. But there are other factors that can also lead to changes in the course of the day. You mentioned being better in the morning. There is such a thing as sleep benefit. So many patients feel better in the morning. The afternoons, in my experience, are typically the worst moments of the day. Perhaps this is also influenced by the meals, the lunch that people take. Anxiety and stress can worsen symptoms. Um, and I always say that your Parkinson's is like a, is like a scar, you know, the, the, the two old men sitting uh, on the veranda and saying, I can feel that my scar starts to itch, so I know that there will be a thundercloud coming. In a very similar way, if your Parkinson's goes awry, if it worsens, it's usually a sign that something else is happening. So if Parkinson's deteriorates rapidly, or takes an unusual course. It could be the flu, it could be a bladder infection, it could be stress. I just want to emphasize that it is important to patients that to, 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 to teach them that fluctuations are more the rule than the exception, that a careful appraisal of the relation to medication intake is important, but that there are also other reasons, treatable reasons or understandable reasons why these fluctuations happen. 
Very true. It's it's a, it's a it's there's two sides of a coin. We've we've emphasized in our previous reflection podcast on the um, difficulty in recognizing um, fluctuations and their relationship to levodopa intakes. But as you point out, there are other there are other mechanisms as well that may lead to changes in uh, symptom severity that are not. Um, the classical fluctuations that are related to the to the drug and that's in a way that is what makes the art of, of of a of an expert neurologist in relation to parkinson's to be able to carefully dissect the different underlying factors for such for such swings um, what is your take on the value of um aids in in communication with patients like wearing of questionnaires or home diaries or or other techniques uh, are we using them enough are they useful in the first place uh, what what is your what is your take on that buzz well my general take is they're underutilized uh, a large part of my job as a movement disorders expert is to do second and third opinions and I often see patients, and, and this is not to blame any of my colleagues, but the colleagues say these are unexplained fluctuations. And if you really sit down carefully, explain the phenomenon, not just to the patient, but also to the spouse, to other family members. If you use diaries, it most of the times it will become clear what is the nature of the fluctuations. Um, it is rare in my experience, and I'm curious to hear about your opinion, to actually having to admit patients and to see them go through all the phases of the medication cycle. That is fortunately an exception. And the reason I like to avoid it is that bringing patients to the hospital gives you a truly false impression of their Parkinson's. They do usually quite well in the hospital, only to be bad again at home. So if you can do it on an outpatient basis, that is my strong preference, but I'm curious to hear about your experience. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you uh, on one hand. Um, in parentheses, I would like to say sometimes when I've been fiddling around with medication to smooth out response oscillations mm -hmm. and it didn't seem to work and I didn't understand why, uh, I found it... Um, enlightening to have the option of sure. having the patient in for a few days and then observe sometimes that when drugs and pills were actually given the way they should be given yeah, yeah, and yeah. there was compliance and adherence to timing the problem went away and their patients the end the, the end result was that they they weren't um, adherent enough but by and large, I agree with you. I think one should try and sort things out without, without admissions. And we've learned in these COVID times, of course, that through our increased use of telemedicine, where we had to um, make contact with our patients through Zoom meetings, etc., cetera, um, that one can, of course, use this as well to get an idea about a cycle, particularly when it comes to these more difficult uh, classifications of diphasic dyskinesias when we're not sure uh, are we talking about on period troublesome dyskinesias that would require a slightly different 
therapeutic regimen from biphasic bouts at onset and offset of effect of a dose. That's something that one could potentially either monitor remotely with a video consult or just ask patients to take a home video. Or sometimes when we're not quite sure, does the patient, when they refer about breakthrough shakings, do they refer to trembling or do they refer to dyskinesis? It's not always, I think you pointed that out in one of our last mm -hmm. uh, meetings that that's not always easy to disentangle from the patient report. And, and that's where these videos may help. I agree. Yeah, and you made one really important point that I just want to reiterate one more time is we, we see patients very often and, and they say, well, I'm not doing well. Uh, we, we, we changed the medication and I'm still not well. And the point that you made is sometimes you admit these patients and you give the medication the way it was supposed to be given. And now suddenly they are much, much better. So the issue of compliance with these complex medication regimes, oftentimes four or five different pills, up to eight different medication moments per day. And, and you know, patients are not to blame, but the, the, the reflex, patient not well, prescription, new drug, more drugs, isn't always well. You need to carefully ascertain compliance. And that is the point you made. And I just wanted to re reiterate that. Yep, I think um, since we're ending the time limits of our of our reflection today. Um, I think we've we've scratched up, uh, at least at the surface and even a bit deeper of sure. this big, big, big topic of patient communication. It's of course, in some ways, it may sound trivial to stress how important it is to properly communicate with patients. But I, I think it really needs emphasizing again and again and again. There has to be sufficient time for a careful history, for careful provision of information for listening. Uh, and I always tell my students, um, when you have limited time for a consultation and for meeting your patients, there's only really two options. Either you postpone the visit um, or you take 90% of the time you have for talking to the patient and listening to, 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 what, they, to what they have to say. So this is an important topic. Um, We're finishing for today. I would like to thank all of you who were listening in. Uh, I'd like to thank Bial, who sponsored um, this edition um, of our reflections on Parkinson's disease. Please don't forget, if you want and if you wish, to give us your feedback through your social media channels or write an email to editor at orion.com. Um, we'll welcome all of your suggestions. They will help us to uh, improve or address topics that we may not have had on our radar. And I do look forward, Bas, to see you again and talk to you um, in, in the next podcast. A lot more to discuss. Look forward to it. Indeed. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and look forward to seeing you next time. Don't forget to stay up to date with all the latest discussions and help spread awareness. Follow and subscribe. You can find us on your favourite podcast platform and oroin.com.